is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society, from politics to pop culture and beyond. Guys, I don't mind saying today is going to be an amazing one. We have the former business editor of Morning Brew, host of the Business Casual podcast, who's now working on some extremely exciting new projects, as all of her fans, including myself, know. The legend herself, Kinsey Grant, is here, and we're going to talk about some of the important changes happening in our society and how we can make those transformations for the better. Before we talk about all that, when we think about the story of the Israelites, which we've been talking about for a while now, we tend to think about it as a group of people taking this like one long journey. So they start as slaves in Egypt. God takes them out. They wander in the desert for 40 years until they reach the promised land. Roll credits. But the thing is, that's actually not what happens at all. What actually happens is that God does indeed free the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. They do achieve freedom. But then they complain, they sin, they rebel against like any sense of moral responsibility until God finally gets exhausted and has enough of that. That generation ends up wandering in the desert until they die out. And it's the next generation that ends up crossing over from the wilderness into the promised land and building a society there. And to the extent that this story, the story of the exodus from slavery and the journey to the promised land is the most famous story, quite literally in history, And it's like the foundation myth for so many different societies and nations and civilizations, including ours. It's worth thinking about why it is that the Bible doesn't just do the, oh, I don't know, the cinematic thing and just have it be like one group of people that's freed from slavery and finds redemption. You wouldn't have had to cast a whole new group of people. And I think the answer is that if you think about what that journey actually requires, what it entails, you can easily see how it takes multiple generations. So to achieve liberty in the face of tyranny, to leave in Egypt... You need a willingness to bravely reject your past. You need a healthy sense of skepticism, a willingness to question any authority. You need to be the kind of people who can break chains. And I mean, that's heroic. But to reach a promised land, to pursue a common purpose and build a society upon it, you need a different type of heroism. You need a willingness to embrace the past, even if your parents have forgotten it. Or maybe you need the creativity to reimagine the past so that you can build a future even brighter than your parents could have imagined. And building a society or a community means being willing to devote yourself to a higher cause or higher authority than yourself. It's less the heroism of surviving like the gulag and more the heroism of, you know, drafting the Constitution. And I think in the recent American past, like the 60s and the 70s, we've seen that heroism of the flight from Egypt, the pursuit of personal freedom, rejection of a stultifying or even unjust establishment. And we have heroes from that period. And now, about 60 years later, we're due for another heroic generation. But I think this one is less about freedom from Egypt and more about seeking the promised land. It's about trying to envision a more just, more compassionate, more dynamic, even more technologically advanced society. And that means we're going to face new and scary challenges. But it also comes with some really exciting opportunities, which will require some serious creativity to leverage them. And I think that's actually the most interesting task for this generation. How do we reach that promised land? And what new things or new old things do we need to learn on the way there? And to unpack all that, I invited on one of the most inquisitive and I think visionary people out there. One of the instrumental folks behind Morning Brew. She was the business editor and host of the Business Casual podcast. She's a journalist, brilliant thinker, and someone who's got some pretty big stuff coming up. I'm so excited to have on Kinsey Grant. Kinsey, thanks for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me, Ari. I think that might be the most generous introduction I have ever had in my entire career. I am so grateful to be here, and thank you for those kind words. Well, that's how we roll on Good Faith Efforts. So I am a huge fan of yours, and you now have a wonderful Substack. Thank you. Which all the cool kids have these days. <laughs> and you have this wonderful piece that you've written about trust. And if I could just distill it into a sentence, it's essentially, we're not losing trust as a society, we're transferring trust. So can you unpack that a little bit? Because I want to explore this a little bit with you, but can you unpack sort of the argument? Sure, absolutely. So I wrote this piece a couple weeks back because I was so intrigued by this one specific stat that I read in one of my many morning newsletters that I I read religiously. Now, one of these newsletters suggested, right, a little religion joke, one of these newsletters suggested that Gallup had recently done a poll that people are going to places of worship, churches, synagogues, mosques, at an alarmingly lower rate than they previously had here in the United States, which, you know, obviously is a a pretty religious country as far as, as the numbers have shown over the last several generations. And we've always known that the trend has kind of been decreasing in terms of church membership or or mosque or synagogue membership. And people had a little less faith in organized religion than they used to. But the big headline was that it had dipped below 50%. And I just couldn't get past this. I thought it was so intriguing. And I did a little more research and found that it's not just places of worship, these institutions that are losing trust from the everyday person. It's all kinds of different institutions from the media to businesses to the government all sorts of big social institutions that have historically had a lot of sway over our society had been losing that influence. And so I wanted to dig into why that was happening to try to understand it myself, because I've been a participant in this trend. I can understand talking to people, thinking through my own experience over the last several years, why this is happening. But I wanted to figure out what were the motivations behind it. And more importantly, what does that mean as we go forward? You know, What does it mean if fewer people are going to church? What does it mean if fewer people consume mainstream media? And I don't necessarily think it's always a bad thing. It is, of course, going to mean a tide change. It's going to mean that the way we make decisions and, and are influenced as a society will change. But it doesn't mean that we're just going to be you know, totally wandering around like without any sort of guideposts in our lives. We just are giving that role to different people and to different institutions, not the church, not the government, not the media. So that was what I wanted to explore in the piece. Um, and I was honestly floored by a lot of the feedback that I got from people who read it, reached out and said, this had been exactly my experience. You know, I I grew up going to, let's say, like a Southern Baptist church every single Sunday. I was heavily involved in Sunday school. And now all of a sudden, I don't feel that as I'm raising my own family. I have made different decisions. I have decided to place that trust that my family might have put in a church or any sort of place of worship into another institution. And I'm finding increasingly those institutions are going back to more individuals. And they're these people that we find typically on the internet, people who we trust, people we consider to be good deep thinkers. And we look to those people for influence and um, to be the North Star that we need in our lives in a way that maybe we used to have looked at these bigger social institutions like places of worship and the government, etc. So that's kind of in a nutshell what I was writing about. I read this. I genuinely like I thought about it. I dreamed about it. Like this is such a great piece. Thank you. So I put on my historian hat for a second, which is like kind of my first love. So there's this incredible, it's actually an article, it wasn't even a book. There's this wonderful historian of religion. He's one of the most famous historians of religion, a guy by the name of Peter Brown. Peter Brown's expertise is like that transition period from the Roman Empire or sort of like the pagan Roman past to the kind of Christian future. And he has this article that kind of ended up making him pretty famous. 
which is about what he called like the holy man in antiquity. And the idea was that like as you're transitioning from this era of like big, strong, old, reliable institutions that govern everybody's lives into a future that's not worse, but just very different. Right. And in many ways better. Right. Where people are like asking different questions and are seeking new answers and are seeking different types of meaning in their lives. The old institutions kind of weren't able to mediate that transition. And instead, you know, at that time, people shifted their trust from those institutions to people. And the people were charismatic, great speakers. They could stand up to emperors and tell them how to behave. And I feel like we're sort of on the cusp right now. I don't know exactly what it is, but it really feels like we're on the cusp of some transition, at least in American life, of a past that sort of felt very what I would call like leave it to beavery, like very steady, solid. The highest aspiration that people have is just like, have a crack at some job in finance, right? Or whatever it is. And now, you know, it's funny, like you mentioned that Gallup poll, like attendance at churches, at like old school churches, like church attendance, right? Is below mm-hmm. 50% for the first time in American life. And yet um, Pew has this, has this poll, which I was so fascinated by, which says that young people like millennials and Gen Z are increasingly likely to identify themselves as like spiritual seekers than they were five, 10 years ago. And I wondered, do those two kind of trends feel similar to you? Like one of the things you identified in the piece is that people are looking to influencers, Substack writers, you know, the first wave of like mainstream popularity in crypto also felt very like holy man driven, Vitalik Buterin, Satoshi, mysterious creator, right? Is there something to that? Like we're going through a shift. People are asking questions. You're starting to see like demonstrations in the streets that attract all sorts of, you know, big crowds they wouldn't have attracted before whether it was for racial justice or whether it was in the beginning of the last presidency, there seems to be some sort of like inflection point in society and it's coinciding with the rise of like modern day holy men. Is there something to that? Absolutely. I think there absolutely is. And on the the vein of history, right, this is not the first time that we have gone through a major social and cultural shift. These happen actually in relative frequency. We see every couple of decades things like this happen, whether it was, you know, the summer of love in 1969, years following the First World War. You know, this happens pretty frequently. Typically, we have found our way back to these social institutions. But I think what makes this specific moment interesting, this specific friction in terms of social and cultural norms and institutions, is that it's all happening at the same time that big tech is really coming into its influence. I read an interesting piece this morning about who disrupts these disruptors. I don't know that anybody can. And that, it, to me, is a problem, number one. But that's you know <laughs> a conversation for another podcast. But this is all happening at the same time that we've reached this point where we're ready for another revolution in terms of culture and society. But it's also happening while we are really ingraining all of these pieces of tech into our everyday lives. And I don't think that it is just a, a coincidence that you follow somebody on social media, that you are a follower of so-and-so. There are religious undertones in all of what we're doing right now. And we think about these influencers, that is not something that we would have considered to be a viable career option maybe 10 years ago. And now it is. To be an influencer is a a viable career option for a lot of young people. In fact, one that they would aspire to pretty strongly and significantly. And I think that it's just a a confluence of factors all happening at the same time that that is what made me want to think about this so much longer. You know, it's not just we're going to have another Woodstock and and then we'll all go back to the nine to five, right? We are experiencing two shifts happening at the same time. And that has has lasting impacts inevitably. But yeah, I think that there absolutely is something to this idea that, you know, there is a religious 
I wouldn't even call them overtones. Right? Yeah, I was going to say these online. like major notes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is this is exactly what I was thinking about when I started to put this piece together in my head. And it's something I've done myself, right? Like I have specific writers, every single thing that they write that goes into my inbox, I open immediately. And they influence the ways that I go about my day. They influence the things I buy or the ideas that I have. I even just now referenced a newsletter that I read this morning from somebody I follow very, very closely. And that has impacted the way that I've spent my day thinking today. And so it's kind of like a you take the people who were in leadership roles within these bigger social institutions historically, and then you increase them times whatever, like a thousandfold, right? Because anybody can have influence on the internet today because anybody can access the internet for the most part in our developed worlds today. And then it's just happening at so much more increased frequency. Like I have contact with these people I follow on a daily basis instead of a weekly basis. Um, and so it just kind of all serves to this larger question of what comes next? Like, how do we keep this in check? How do we ensure that this idea of somebody whom we can follow into whatever the future is, is something that is good for society instead of something that is bad for us, which I certainly don't have the answers to, but that's what uh, what I've been thinking about a lot. It's so funny because I've been thinking about this obsessively. Like when you talk about like religious overtones, what's so fascinating to me is that we're at this moment where, yeah, you're right. Like on the one hand, there seems to be this kind of individualization of influence where we've shifted from institutions to superlative, charismatic individuals. And yet at the same time, I kind of have this feeling I'm like a huge pop culture nerd. So so much of what I see in pop culture nowadays is like strikingly more traditional not like capital T, like in as in like religious. Take, for example, like West Coast hip hop, right? So like you're growing up in the 90s. West Coast hip hop is like NWA, right? To me, like to use the paradigm that I talked about earlier, that's like very much an Egypt fleeing slavery type of vibe. There's people with like their boots on our necks and we're just angry. Right. Now, if you think about the same music that like the two most popular artists that are coming out of Compton, it's like Kendrick Lamar and Vince Staples, both like deeply Christian people. And like Kendrick Lamar is like, just straight up like sprinkling Bible references throughout his songs. Um, like like I, you can listen to that stuff with your, I mean, you have to, you know, every parent should figure out what they do on their own, but like you could listen to that stuff with your kids as long as you contextualize it, right? Right. Or take another example, like Moana, which, you know, obviously I know by heart vicariously through my kids, you know, but Moana is so interesting because it seems on the surface to be the same kind of like old school Disney story, where it's like a young woman who's questioning her parents, right? And like trying to find her own way in the world. But the way that she does it is by rediscovering the traditions of her ancestors and finding out that her parents have just like kind of gotten boring and like forgotten the possibilities of tradition, right? And so she's trying to think in a whole brand new way, but she's doing it by kind of going back to the old ways or like revitalizing the old ways. So I feel like it's like an easy take to like count tradition out like, oh, we're under 50% church attendance. But I feel like there's this moment now where tradition, different ways of thinking are such like a rich soil for influencers or people of influence to mine. You know, is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also important to note that influence doesn't happen in a vacuum. Influence is spread out all over the world, all over our experiences online. Influencers are influenced by other influencers and so on and so forth. And and we are, in some ways, the products of everything that we consume, whether we're only consuming our Instagram feed or we're also consuming scripture or whatever we're consuming. We are kind of like a snowball of all of these little tidbits that we pick up throughout our existence. And so to say that you know we can completely eschew tradition because we're headed into this brave new world and nobody really knows what it will hold, I think is a little 
short-sighted. There is a reason that Moana was so popular, right? There is a reason why church attendance is still really strong. And maybe it's not as strong as it used to be, but that doesn't mean that it's completely gone to the wayside. And I, I think that, yeah, there is always going to be room. I'm saying like, even if it were weaker, like the coolest thing I saw the other day, like blew my mind, was like the number one podcast on iTunes for like weeks now is just straight up like a Catholic priest reading the Bible. No bells and whistles. It's not more than that. Like, I wonder yeah. if, if people are just like saying, yeah, we're not interested in church attendance because that's like the old institutional way of thinking. But we are, if anything, more interested in the kind of questions that religion wants us to ask. And we're just going to find new and different, more creative ways of answering them. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And to to get a little personal, I grew up in a Christian household. Let's do um, it. <laughs> I was, was raised in a Christian family. My mother was raised Catholic in Brooklyn, New York, and my father was raised in a Southern Baptist household in North Florida. So they came from both Christian, but very different kinds of Christian backgrounds. When they had children, my father was, uh, you know, he's a little older, got an old dad, but he had gotten to the point in his journey with religion that he just felt that there was so much being left on the table in his own church experience, his own experience of going to church every day for, he was in his 50s when he had me for 50 years. You know, this was something that he did every single week. Wow. And by the time my sister and I came around, he decided that it was more about who could keep up with the Joneses the most than it was about actually taking lessons from the Bible and applying them to your own life. And so with my sister and I, we never went to a traditional church. Our church was dad reading us scripture in the kitchen every morning before school. And I think that maybe my dad was ahead of his time a little bit, you know, that the rigidity of organized religion as it has existed for so long really doesn't track with the ways that we consume anything in the modern world. We want things that are flexible. We want things that fit into our lives so that we can consume as much as possible and for better or worse, right? But I think the ways that we have traditionally perceived organized religion have been in a very rigid way that you go on a certain day of the week at a certain time every every week and you have the same lessons, you meet the same people, you talk about the same things. And that's not necessarily the way that people want to consume anything today. Think about Snapchat or, or Instagram stories. That's just not how we consume content. We want ephemeral. We want quick. We want things that apply directly to us because we know that personalization is possible. So we love that now. We've gotten so accustomed accustomed to personalization. And I think that the religious experience for a lot of people has not tracked with that personalization that we've gotten so used to. So it sounds like in the kind of world that you're describing, the ability to sift through information, like mounds of information rapidly and ask really good questions is an essential skill. Yeah. And if I think of like Morning Brew and the stuff that you've done, that's like your superpower. You would just have on these incredibly interesting people and be able to ask exactly the right questions. Like, how do you cultivate that kind of skill in the in the world that we live in now? I think it's just leaning into curiosity. You know, everybody is curious in some way or another. I've never run into anybody who hasn't had at least one question to ask, right? Like, everybody <laughs> has a question. We might have different questions to ask, and that is completely normal. But everybody has inherent curiosity. And the biggest, most important lesson I learned in my, my career in media so far has just been to be honest about that. Be forthcoming about the fact that you have questions and that you don't have the answers to everything. I think there is so much pressure to perform, especially when you're in a position like I was in at 
at Morning Brew. I had a platform. I was expected to show up and perform every week. And yes, that was part of my job. I was happy to do it. I love doing it. But also you're human. And the people who are consuming the content you're putting out are also human. They can understand what it's like to say, wait, I don't really get that. Can you slow down and explain it in a little bit more detail? Or to push somebody on something that you disagree with. That's a human reaction. And we've lost that in some ways in the media world because we have this need to always be right and to be very convicted in our viewpoints. And we've lost the ability to recognize that maybe people disagree with us or maybe you could go a little deeper on this and get a little bit more context and get a little bit more background. And then you would create a better understanding for everybody who's consuming that. But it's just been leaning into that and owning it. And it's worked for me. And I think that that is part of why the show took off is because it was honest and and raw and, and just human. Do you see like the creator economy being good for that? Right. So it seems to me at least the logical case would seem to line up. So as it becomes easier and easier for like individual creators, not just like in the fashion space or culinary space, but in like the news and opinion space to become self-sufficient, whether it's through Substack Mm -hmm. or through podcasts or through whatever, should we expect to see like better or at least more diverse types of questions coming out in the type of people we follow? Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. And I do think that there is an enormous amount of content out there to be consumed by so many different diverse voices. The onus in some respects, though, does fall on the consumer. I can exist in my little Twitter bubble for the rest of my life and be very happy doing that and not push myself in any way to consume other kinds of content. But what kind of existence is that? You know, If I look back <laughs> when I'm, I'm 70 or 80 and say, like, well, no one really ever pushed me on anything, that's not much to be proud of. You know, I would rather have been pushed. I would rather have questioned the world. I would rather have consumed as much as possible because for all of the faults of this world that we live in today, this like always on 24-7 social media, whatever world, there are so many possibilities. I can connect with people I never would have expected to connect with. And I can understand their perspective a little more than maybe I would have had I grown up two generations back, right? So it's important to recognize that the responsibility is partially on the person who is consuming this content to diversify what you consume. Try to branch out. Just even if you subscribe to a newsletter and you hate it, at least you tried, right? That's <laughs> that's always been important to me. The truth is, like, if I think about my Twitter bubble, it's like, at least on my personal account, it's like very exclusively Judaism and the Knicks. So it's like, yeah, you know, a people who've been like oppressed and have suffered for a very long time and have just had all this misery and Jews. Right. So, right, right, right. <laughs> but I don't think like there's the anything fans, wrong you know. with that. At least you recognize that that is your experience online. Right. And there is always going to be room for creating communities, whether it's a, a community of Judaism, a community of oppressed Knicks fans. Long like, suffering there's, Knicks right, fans. Right, right. There's always room for those communities. And I think that they are important and they have brought people together. And I am so grateful for all of that. But I also would like to sample some right. other communities and and recognize that my Twitter feed is specific to me because I've curated it. So anybody else's could be very different. And there are a lot of like concentric bubbles that are happening at the same time. But the important part is to recognize that we all kind of exist in bubbles of our own creation. (laughs) Right. So like if I'm thinking about like socially urgent priorities in the kind of world that you're describing, which I'm super excited about, by the way, I think has so much potential. Like I think we're about to enter into a cool like intellectual social golden age. But if I'm sort of thinking about what are the urgent priorities, the kind of world that we're in, Substack, Instagram influencers, crypto, whatever it is, 
it seems that it's really good at connecting, as you put it, I, th- I thought the way you put it was great, like followers with the people they're following, right? Right. So it's really good at making connections between individuals and people that they want to be influenced by. It seems to me that we haven't yet optimized connecting the various followers with each other. And part of that is because like we're just, we've become so bad at community for the last like several decades anyway. This like predates the internet, right? Like we've just yeah. become <laughs> bad at community, right? But what are some ways that we should think about Or have you thought about this? Like, how do we take folks that are seeking and questioning and connecting them with each other so that we can start forming some thicker communities? I think it it all kind of is rooted in this idea that we have put so much stock in recently, which and recently, I mean, the last several decades of these parasocial relationships. So one to many the one influencer to their many followers. They create this relationship. And that's valuable, especially for, in my experience, especially for the the influencer, this person with the platform that can be the most valuable resource that you have. But what good is it if you can't connect the many to the many? Because that is essentially how we move forward as a society. That is how we have meaningful conversations. That is how we meet new people. And if you can't do that, then what good is having a platform in the first place? So I have thought a lot about it over the last, I would say, several weeks, especially since I left my job at Morning Brew, thinking about how you can connect people, especially after the last year. You know, it's it's been so difficult to make meaningful connections. And it's not to say it hasn't happened. I've made some incredible friends on Twitter over the last year who I never expected I would have met or become close with, but it's just not the same. I can go out of my way to DM somebody on Twitter because I feel comfortable doing that. But for the many people who read my Substack, they might have everything in common with somebody else who's reading. But if I can't figure that out and put those two people in a room, virtual or, or in real life or otherwise, then I feel like that's kind of a waste of having that influence. So I've been thinking a lot about you know the ways that people can opt into communities and that the, the person in charge at the top can ensure that it's meaningful. And at the end of the day, I don't think it has to be so pressurized. You don't have to provide something to anybody other than ears to listen or or eyes to see. Like that is really what matters. And so as we build out this new project that I'm working on this new show, it's going to be big on community because what we want to do is get people to have good conversations. That is the number one goal, like top of the list, right? Get people to just talk more and have better conversations. And I can only talk to them so much. We need them to talk to each other. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to kind of become these like intellectual matchmakers who figure out what people want to meet other people and then how we can ensure that they actually do follow through, even if it's for five minutes and they never talk again at least they got the opportunity. You know, there are ways that people have been able to figure that out. Typically, they come platform first. You think about something like an Instagram Live or, or Twitter Spaces or Clubhouse. You do have the opportunity to connect with other people who are following the same kinds of people that you are. But it's not so meaningful. It's not always one-to-one. It's still kind of as that, like, subtext of a parasocial relationship. So that's been a big priority for me, and I am huge on it. I think that is at the core of, of what we do moving forward. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I'll share something personal also just to bring it back to what you said before. Like one of the interesting things is I am one of the statistics of drop out of church attendance. Right. So, you know, I'm like a rabbi. I'm a, I'm like a fanatically religious dude. But one of the cool and actually precious things of the pandemic and the, one of the things that like really just got me through it was, you know, I would pray at my local synagogue belong to a synagogue and, you know, go there every day, every, you know, and every weekend for the Sabbath. But one of the things that happened during the pandemic was like, because we were forced apart. And then even when things opened up again, like I've been praying in a driveway, like outside through the winter, right? Like now we're getting rewarded because it's the summer months. But like, I was with like the same 20 people in a driveway. Each one of us had to take on bigger responsibilities. It just felt so much more raw and so much more real. And to be honest with you, I think it's going to continue long after the pandemic is over. Yeah. 
And like, it just feels like we're on the frontier of new ways of doing community. So speaking of that, can you tell us like anything about what it is that you're working on now? Or it's like super top secret. <laughs> no, I, I can tell you. I can tell you. Rock and roll. <laughs> so essentially, like I said, conversation sucks. Consuming media sucks. There are better ways to do all of this. Cosign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to play my part and take up my role in ensuring that that better way is the way of the future. So what we're doing is launching a podcast and a newsletter and a lot of different social rooms and, and places for community where people can come together and have better conversations to take the time and space to recognize that the first tweet you see about something might not actually be an accurate representation of that issue. You know, the first viral video that you see on YouTube might be part of the conversation, but that's not the whole conversation. So we want to encourage people to stop, to sit down, look up at the sky and think about things and think about the fact that you might be wrong, that your parents might be wrong, that your your best friends might be wrong, that you, like this is just the way that we have to move forward when we want to have better conversations because the way that we're going right now in a lot of ways is, is fantastic. We have communities in some respects like we've been talking about, but people don't take enough time to recognize that some things you just have to sit and stew on and you have to think about them and you have to let them affect you. And that is what we want to do with this new show. So we're going to be taking on the biggest, thorniest topics that we can think of for the first season, like big tech regulation and working for morally bankrupt companies, sex work, like all sorts of topics wow. that typically aren't given the airtime and the oxygen that they need to really be fully flushed out, to get a nuanced perspective of what's going on in this space and be honest about our experiences going through it. And I say, all right, I have a co-founder who's helping me through all this, but I will be the host and the writer and the face of everything. But just to have honest conversations about them, to approach it from exactly where I am in my life. I am 26 years old. I have had certain life experiences that will inevitably inform the ways that I perceive the world around me. And you might have as well, if you're out there listening. So that's what I'm working on right now. And it's been really exciting to take the time and space, like I said, to also sit back and consider 10 episodes in the first season. What are the 10 biggest questions that people are asking right now in this generation? What will be the conversations that inform the ways we move forward? And it's been a challenge, certainly, but an incredible experience to figure all of that out. And I've been very grateful to have the support of an incredible community, most of whom I met on the internet to back me up and, and give me ideas and honest feedback and tell me when I'm being an idiot and uh, and when I'm, I'm onto something. And so I'm really, really excited to launch it and to get people hopefully talking a lot more. I think especially as we come out of 2020 and the COVID-19 pandemic, people have been faced with incredible loss and incredible heartbreak and sadness and changes that we can never get back, right? There are, are certain things that have been wrought upon us that are never going to be different. But at the same time, we have come to recognize the importance to your earlier point of worshiping in someone's driveway. Like we've come to recognize that when you want something, you can make it happen. Like you work harder, you you adapt, you just figure it out. And I hope that that is part of the kind of subcontext of what we're doing moving forward is when you want to have a good conversation, you can have it. It might not be easy, but you can have it. Um, and it's it's okay to disagree with people. It's okay to figure out that you're wrong as long as you're talking to someone. We're all craving that right now. So that's what I'm working on. <laughs> Amen. That is awesome. Kinsey, where can people find you? Instagram, Twitter, where where can people find you? Everywhere, everywhere. Mostly on Twitter, um, at Kinsey Grant, Instagram, at Kinsey R. Grant, um, on Clubhouse, I'm on TikTok. KinseyGrant.fm, I feel like that's a thing. Yeah, Kinsey.fm is my site. Yeah, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, which I would totally Oh, highly encouraged. Substack, folks. <laughs> Be like me. Let's do it. I'll be an influencer, right? Let's yeah, make I, it happen. <laughs> I have a lot of fun with that Substack, um, and it's it's been awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty much everywhere on the internet. 
You can find me anywhere. Rock and roll. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for joining us, Kinsey. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. We're in a strange new world, that's for sure. But that didn't mean we're heading for dystopia. On the contrary, if the last few decades have really felt like a narrative about the slow, agonizing death of togetherness, right now feels like the most exciting moment you could possibly think of for reimagining the future of community and rearticulating old wisdom for a new world. So how do we go about doing this? Well, I think Kinsey's really got it right. What we're gonna need is that mix of humility, that willingness to listen, and creativity, that aspiration to teach and transform. And if we can harness that, we'll be able to take that next step forward on the journey to our promised land. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. All right, that's it for now. This is Ari Lam making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. Good Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Paul Ruest. This is a Joshua Network podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lamb and sign up for our email list at thejoshuanetwork.com. The Joshua Network is now Soul Shop.